jasoncharles.net. Art, art, and, art culture. and culture. You are listening to Lost Angeles with Laura Craven on jasoncharles.net. This is Laura Craven with Lost Angeles on the JasonCharles.net podcast network. Today, my very special guest is Michael Poirier, who is the principal architect at Poirier Design, located in Beverly Hills. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, Michael. Thanks for having me. I know that you are an architect of the higher-end homes that are populating Los Angeles now, more than ever in the recent past, and a lot of what motivates that is the foreign investment in these beautiful compounds that pop up in the hills of Beverly Hills and in Bel Air. If you could speak to a little bit of your background and what drew you to architecture on this level, that would be great. Yeah, what's funny, so I'm, I'm born and raised in um, Canoga Park, West Hills. Uh, it changed to West Hills when I was in high school. And, uh, you know, I, I went to a private school high school and I went to a modest university, Cal Poly Pomona, which is east of downtown LA. Um, I also studied in Florence, Italy for uh, a year when I was in school. And that really opened up my eyes from, because I was an, a Los Angeles native, right? I'm born and raised here. I think when you're born and raised in LA, you don't really have a great perception of the rest of the world because Los Angeles is sort of the, the final horrific stage of evolution of a city but it may not have been the correct evolution but it, we still made everybody we made the mistakes for the rest of the world before the world is doing it <laughs> and now we're trying to backtrack and fix things so that experience in europe really opened my eyes to a higher understanding of what life can be and what a city could be and what culture is and <laughs> etc i still love LA culture, like uh, I would argue that, you know, Los Angeles is a huge cultural driver of the planet Earth, right? When you think about car culture, or music or film, etc. Obviously, it's very influential. But so yeah, that was sort of how I started out was graduating from Cal Poly Pomona in architecture at the age of 23, back in 1995. You know, my first job out of school was a really large estate in Hope Ranch, which is um, just north of Santa Barbara. Oh. It's a very exclusive neighborhood. Ronald Reagan lives there. And at the time, the big deal was that our neighbor was Khashoggi, who's an arms dealer from, you know, the Iran-Contra uh, affair, an, right? An ominous name check. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So our client, um, at that time, I was a very low-level person doing construction documents for the first time. But our client was a woman named Wendy McCaw, who had just moved to Santa Barbara with a few billion dollars in her pocket from Seattle. She was famous because her husband is in the Guinness Book of World Records. I think his name's Greg McCaw for the highest sale ever of a company. I think he's, he sold McCaw Cellular to AT&T for like $100 billion or something. So she <laughs> divorced him. Floor, yes. <laughs> she divorced him, had some money, and she wanted to move to Santa Barbara. So she moved to Santa Barbara, and this is all over the news. She bought the newspaper. She bought several properties. She started buying commercial real estate downtown, and 
She hired the office I was at, which was called Mole and Polyzoides. She hired them because they're pretty much experts at Spanish style um, in historic homes. And uh, she had bought a, a home by uh, Wallace Neff. Mm-hmm. So we were we restored it and added on to it. And in 1996 dollars, it was a 20 million dollar house. So, <laughs> so I'm sure that was my first job out of school. <laughs> exponentially by now. Yeah. Wow. So I mean, it. I'm making it sound like I've been doing it ever since, but that's not true. That was just my first taste. After that, I did a lot of urban design. I did a lot of normal middle-income homes in Silver Lake and Echo Park and um, Montecito and Beverly Hills and you know, but but different income levels, five hundred thousand dollars for a house or a hundred thousand dollar addition or a two million dollar house, you know, back and forth. Believe it or not though, what really happened was in 2008 when the economic crash happened, 30% of all architects lost their jobs. Yeah. And I actually got forced into the high end market because it was the only project still being built. Because the money crisis at that point was not touching people who were looking for $20 million homes. Exactly. Well, yeah. And the middle class didn't have home equity lines of credit anymore. Mm-hmm. Disappeared. You couldn't borrow against your house anymore because people were underwater. Right. Or no, they were even. I completely agree with that. And <clears throat> in my experience working at an architectural firm, also, I felt that the uptick really began in 2011, 2012, and... In my mind, I thought, okay, now we know that the economy is coming back because that is when people start hiring architects again. And it was very telling. Yeah, and so, so at that point in 2008, I was at an office designing several multifamily, uh, multifamily buildings, multifamily commercial, you know, 100-unit apartment buildings, condos, lots of condos, um, the Toy Factory Loft is a project I worked on in 2004. It was really successful. Um, that Continues was, to be. Yeah, that was with day. Linear City, and we were mm-hmm. one of the first you know, projects down there. And um, I was excited about all those kinds of projects because I had lived downtown since 1998 in artist lofts and stuff. So I really knew downtown really wow. well. And I, I played in bands at all the underground clubs that used to be on Santa Fe before 2004, you know? Right, right. Well, you bring such an eclectic mix yeah, to your and, design process. And I even, sure. I played shows with my band on the top floor of the Biscuit Company lofts when it was an empty abandoned building, mm-hmm. which now it's Vincent Gallo's apartment, right? <laughs> now, so, yeah, the Biscuit lofts are very hip and happening. Yeah. So, so yeah, when, when the crash happened, all those multifamily jobs disappeared. And so... I applied wherever I could, and luckily I had this little bit of history with high-end residential, so I went right back into it. Mm -hmm. And so that's That's what I've been doing since 2008. I guess it's 10 years now straight. (laughs) Well, that is great. And and I do appreciate you um, sent me a video of one of the projects that you worked on recently Mm -hmm. that would be 1029 Hanover. Yeah. And although, of course, we'll talk about the design of the house and what inspired you but i have to say what really struck me was the production quality of the video mm-hmm. that's out there that um i'm sure you know used for real estate purposes used for entertainment on youtube but it, incredible i mean the opening credits you almost think you're settling in for a feature film 
<laughs> so maybe you could speak to what goes into planning that. I mean, you have to storyboard it out like you're doing a, a film, I imagine. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, 1029 Hanover was a, a project by Roman James Design Build. He's a really great developer, a really creative, cool guy. Um, so he he raises the money and gets the money together to buy properties. Usually they they cost maybe around ten million dollars for a tear down in Beverly Hills, and you know you either tear the old house down or renovate it, and uh, you build a new house for a budget of ten or twelve million dollars, and then you see if you can uh, you know turn it into thirty million dollars or seventy million dollars, depending. So Roman James was a developer. I was the architect of record, the, the designer. Whenever we do these projects for developers, they always have a big say in finishes, and they kind of take it on as their baby, and they, they make decisions, we make decisions, and we kind of collaborate you know, through the whole process. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. They do very high-quality, like Hollywood film-quality advertisements for these homes. Let me just expand on this. The reason why you're making a video like this is because the market is international. Mm -hmm. It's not someone who lives around the corner. There's only, you know, a thousand people on the planet Earth that are going to buy a house for $30 million. And so some of them, most likely they own a house in L.A. somewhere, but they probably don't live here full time. And they probably don't live anywhere full time, mm -hmm. to be honest. So you have to put these films on YouTube and on the Internet in order to grab these international buyers. I mean, we talk about it as if they're only international buyers. I mean, these are just citizens of the planet Earth. Right. <laughs> they don't have nations anymore. <laughs> Wow, when I you, like that. When you get no to, borders? Yeah, there's no borders. Like when you get to that level, you have cars parked in Australia and you have cars parked in Toronto and you have mm -hmm. cars parked in Dubai and you have an apartment in every country and no country's sure who should tax you and they probably are playing a lot of games with their money and you know. Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I <clears throat> definitely pull the curtain back on yeah. that one. Um, I did a little bit of research on the foreign investment and see that as in 2017, it was $153 billion um, were used to purchase these fantastic, almost right. impossibly opulent properties. Right. And, um, that is pretty incredible. I mean, to think that money's coming from countries like China, Mexico, India, and surprisingly Canada, mm. which, um, you know, really doesn't seem that far away, but that investment was almost 20 billion in properties in, in this country. And it's over five states. Mm -hmm. It's not the whole country. I mean, of course, we would know that people are looking at California, but instead of New York, it's New Jersey, where mm. some of these really, really opulent properties are. Mm -hmm. So, so very interesting. And well, um, I, I also think you know we tend to think the rest of the world is just like us, and we forget that there are countries that are kingdoms, right? So when, mm -hmm. when you live in a country like Qatar, it's a kingdom, or or Saudi Arabia, it's a kingdom, and if you have a bank account there. The kingdom could just decide to take all your money if they want to at a certain point. So you, uh, even in Indonesia, let's say, I've, I've heard red stories in LA Times where someone discovers a diamond mine and they've been hunting for diamonds for decades. The day they find the diamond mine, the government says, oh, actually, we own that land. 
thank you. And then they take it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of, you know, in Venezuela's economy has just crashed. If you are a millionaire in Venezuela, you want to get your money out of Venezuela. And if you aren't legally allowed to get a United States bank account, you could always buy a house. Right. That's a good way to park $30 million or $50 million in in an instant. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, (laughs) so that, that is oftentimes what these are used as is, um, instead of investing in the stock market, uh, a lot of times a house is a better investment than stock market and it's safer and you can go there and have and swim in it. You can't right. swim in a stock, right? <laughs> That's so, true. Yes. It's Park a lot more your fun. $100 million here and have fun while you're doing it. And then later you'll sell it and you'll make a profit on it anyways. It's, it's easier you, than owning a donut shop. That is a shop. question that, that actually occurred to me. Will you make a profit when you're dropping $180 million on a property? How much more than that can you expect to sell it for in 10 years? I mean, it's always, I think it's amazing to everybody, you know, right? Like, uh... Who would imagine that you'd be spending $20 for a hamburger and a Coke and a beer at, <laughs> in There's the arts district there. of all, yeah, yeah, in the arts district of all places. Where, right, where we're supposed to be authentic and... Yeah, I mean, when I was 21 years old at Al's Bar in the arts district... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way I would pay $20 for a hamburger (laughs) (laughs) or a hot dog made of rattlesnake and uh, beer. Don't want that experience. (laughs) It's the same thing. Who would ever imagine you would buy a house in Echo Park for $2 million? No, it's true to think that. I would never buy a house in Echo Park for $2 million, but Um, there is a house in Echo Park that sold for $2 million. Yeah. And I can see where that's going to become perhaps a median price range. And I mean, right now the whole city looks like a million dollars from downtown LA all the way to the ocean. Absolutely. If you can, (laughs) in the real estate world, if you know, you have a client that's looking for something under a million dollars, I'm sure that there's a lot of, you know, non-attention, let's just say to, to those clients and the incredible income inequality that this exposes Maybe this is, you know, a topic for a podcast at another time, but it kind of is in such stark contrast to our huge homeless issue Absolutely. that we're having right now. Los Angeles, it's estimated 50,000 people are sleeping outside on any given night. I, I think 20,000 of them are within a mile of each other mm. <laughs> in downtown LA. Oh, uh, um, I, I think that just speaks more to the overall tendency for the United States to be more like a third world country than a first world Mm. country, because I'm a bit of a socialist in my core. And I I just feel like when you have an all capitalist society, um, if you've ever played the game Monopoly, how does Monopoly end? Monopoly ends where one person has all the money and everyone else goes broke. And I actually think the United States is the same. I mean, if, if you just buy as many properties as you can at the beginning of the game, just mm-hmm. like Monopoly, you will make a lot of money eventually. Wow. And you, you just inevitably have to be able that to go. means that you've got to have the people at the bottom that are suffering and it just doesn't seem right. at all fair. Right. Or if the resources exist to give everyone shelter, then perhaps there's got to be some way for them to be utilized right. just as you can also buy the $100 million house. I had some students uh, touring s- some houses with me, 
and somebody brought this exact thing up. They said, so do these wealthy people that buy a house for a hundred million dollars or even $250 million, I mean, how does that come back to the community? Right. You think about that. And like, I have a, I have a friend who bought a house, $2 million cash in Silver Lake. So they, their house was a hundred percent paid off. They bought a house, $2 million cash and they were from Columbia. So they thought, this is great. I bought my house. Now I don't have to pay anything anymore. They didn't realize there's property tax. Oh, yes. And it doesn't matter. Heavy property tax. It doesn't matter if you buy your house all cash to the last penny. You mm-hmm. still owe, I think, $16,000 a year now on that and, house. And you've got to pay to keep the lights on and the water flowing. And, and, and the yeah, yeah, well, there's that, too, when you get right. to the higher level. So when you buy a house for $100 million, you have probably... $200,000 a year of maintenance and you have a $200,000 a year property tax bill that you can never get out of whether you right. live there or not. <laughs> Hopefully I would wish that that $200,000 property tax bill went to something useful. I don't know if it is. I certainly don't see it in the streets. Right. I think we have the worst roads in the country oh, in Los Angeles. God. Yeah, that kind of bureaucratic um, sharing of mm-hmm. where those taxes go, that would be a very interesting topic. For- yeah, I mean, the abuses in DWP and everything else, I, I don't know what to do about all that. Right. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate this interesting conversation. I know that we could go on and there's many more topics that we can hit and hopefully you'll come back and, and we can set that up for some time in the future. Yeah, no problem. But for now, I just really appreciate you spending your time, your expertise with us, Michael, and anyone interested, go to poyerdesign.com to check out these amazing images. And I want to say a big thank you to Barry Funkhauser, podcast producer extraordinaire, and the beautiful production house that we are in today, Superba House, which is absolutely gorgeous and has really great donuts. Also, Poirier Design is really hard to spell because it's French. So I have another website that's beverlyhillsarchitects.com. Okay. That's good. So... Uh I'm going to go there to visit that, <laughs> appreciate that. And for jasoncharles.net, this is Laura Craven with Los Angeles. You've been listening to Lost Angeles with Laura Craven on jasoncharles.net. jasoncharles.net Deep Deep talk, talk, deep deep sounds. sounds.